So we're going to read Hebrews 9, and we're going to be starting at verse 1. Now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. For the tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place. It had the gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which was a gold jar containing the manna, air and staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above the ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. With these things prepared like this, the priests entered the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins the people have committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time, during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshipper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink and various washings imposed until the time of the new order. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of young cows sprinkled those who were defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Amen. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how people uh, try and seek access to different things and to different people, isn't it? Uh, in the 1990s, you uh, may remember there was a cash for access scandal in government. Uh, Mohammed Fayyad uh, paid Neil Hamilton to go posing questions in Parliament to support his business interests. So Mohammed Al-Fayyad thought it was a good idea to buy access to Parliament. Uh, if you followed more recently, the Me Too movement highlighted how powerful people were pressuring women into sexual activity in return for certain access and opportunities, wasn't it? Uh, so often, access to powerful people who can open up opportunities for us. Uh, we give them what they want, and they will in return give us what we want. And that can lead to some pretty seedy, unpleasant deals being made, can't it? Uh, well, if those sorts of things are in our mind when we talk about access, then we're going to misunderstand what we're talking about this morning when we think about access to God. Because God, unlike uh, in the cash for access or in uh, Me Too or in any of those other things, God does not ask us to do anything for him. He doesn't expect us to serve his interests before he will grant us access. God wants to have a relationship with us and he wants us to enjoy him and he knows what is in our best interests already. 
He's provided access to him so that we can have all the good things that he wants to give to us already. And so the question this morning, knowing that there are good things to be had from God, knowing that access to him is important, is how do we access God? And our passage today wants to tell us how we can have meaningful access to him. Uh, And just a bit of context here. Uh, Back in chapter seven, the writer spoke about the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he said Jesus priesthood is in the order of Melchizedek and is superior to the Levite priesthood and the old covenant. Chapter eight says that Jesus is not only uh, bringing a better covenant and a better priesthood, uh, but the old covenant was always meant to be temporary. And it always pointed to this new and better covenant that he was going to bring in. And so having said the new covenant is better than the old, chapter 9, our passage this morning, begins to contrast the covenants and show how the new covenant is in reality better than the old covenant. And so uh, this passage, I think, has three big things to say to us this morning about that. Uh, Firstly, apart from Jesus... There is no access to God. Secondly, we should not settle for copies and pictures of Christ. And thirdly, that Jesus is our only hope. So three things this passage has to say to us this morning. Uh, Firstly then, apart from Jesus, there is no access to God. Here we're looking in verses 1 through to 8. So if you look in verse 1, we're told the old covenant has particular rules and a specific place for ministry. So the writer outlines in verses 2 through to 5 what the place for ministry looked like and what was in it. And then in verses 6 and 7, he sketches out what ministry was actually carried out in that place. Now, uh, we could talk about all the significance of the different items that are listed there in the tabernacle... But, you know, they're all listed in in verses two through to five. But if you look in verse five, uh, the writer says we don't really have time to go into what all those things are there for. Uh, So he's just setting the scene as to what's in the tabernacle. Those items are not important for his main point. And so it's not important for our main point here this morning. Uh, The main idea that he goes on to speak about is that there were two key rooms in the tabernacle the first room was called the holy place and the second room was called the most holy place or the holy of holies Uh, and verses six and seven tell us why those two rooms matter because most jewish people didn't matter who you were most jewish people didn't see either one of those rooms they weren't allowed into either the holy place or the most holy place. Uh, Only the priests, the Levite priests, could enter the holy place and only the high priest could enter the holy of holies. Now verses 6 and 7 highlight two things that the writer has told us before. Firstly, the priests conduct their ministry repeatedly. They do it over and over again. There was no end to the work that the priests were doing. And second, the high priest could only enter the Holy of Holies once a year. 
So he could only enter it as well with the blood of an animal sacrifice. And that blood covered not just the sins of the Jewish people, but also the sin of the high priest himself. Now the writer says all of that so he can contrast it with the new and better covenant in Christ. And the key point he makes about the new and better covenant in Christ is about access, access to God. The old covenant, he says, did not give people access to God. Most Jews could not enter into the first room and even the priests could not enter into the second room. But the Holy of Holies was where God's presence dwelt. Only the high priest could go in there and even he could only go in once a year. And the point he's making is under the old covenant, there was no ready access to God for anybody. That's what verse eight says very clearly. The Holy Spirit who gave these laws was showing the people that as long as the tabernacle is operational, they had no access to God. The tabernacle has two rooms that most Jews could never enter. One room Levite priests couldn't enter and the high priest could only enter once a year. And that setup existed to show God's people that access to him was not open and was not always available. That's the point here. And you've got to remember that the writer is speaking to Hebrew Christians who are being tempted back to Old Covenant Judaism. So they're weighing up whether it's worth their while pressing on with Jesus. They're tempted to reject him and say, I'm going to go back to Judaism and temple worship. And the writer is saying here, if they do that, they will lose their access to God. They have access to God in Christ. They will lose their access to God if they go back to temple worship because they aren't priests. They certainly aren't the high priest. They will lose access. Now, that is the point I think the writer wants to make to us here this morning as well. If you reject Jesus, you will lose your access to God. God does not hear, for example, the prayers of unbelievers. We've said this a number of times as we've gone through this book. If you're not trusting in Jesus, God does not hear your prayers. And I don't mean, you know, he doesn't hear what you've said. He knows the words you're saying. I mean, he doesn't listen. You don't have access to God. Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So apart from Jesus, we have no access to heaven and we have no access to God. Uh, now, it doesn't matter if you add in Jesus name at the end of your prayer. Right? That does not mean God suddenly hears your prayer because you said those words. We only come in Jesus name if we belong to the Lord Jesus. If we trust in him alone, if his blood has atoned for our sin and we are in covenant with him. And if you're not a Christian here this morning 
adding in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer is like me claiming that I come and speak in the name of the Ayatollah Khamenei. It's the same thing. I might say I've come to speak in the name of the Ayatollah, right? But I'm not in the government of Iran, am I? I am not even Iranian. So in what world do I speak for them? In what world do I speak for those people? Well, in the same way, we are separated from God by our sin. And unless our sin has been fully paid for by Jesus, we have zero access to God. We have no hope of heaven and we have no way of our prayers being heard by him. We do not speak in Jesus' name if we don't belong to Jesus. It's that simple. Outside of Jesus, there is no access. And outside of Jesus, you're not going to escape the judgment that is to come. Apart from Jesus, we have no right to be heard by God. Apart from Jesus, you don't belong to the kingdom of God. You will not enter heaven apart from Jesus. God is ultimately not even for you if you don't belong to Jesus. And that is why following Jesus and pressing on with him matters. The old covenant made it clear that the Jews did not have access to God. The whole temple set up existed to say you don't have access to God. It is only by faith in Jesus that we have access. And so if you want to access God, if you want him to hear your prayer, if you want to be part of his kingdom, if you want to belong to him, if you want to avoid the judgment, then you avoid those things. You gain those things by trust in Jesus. I say first, apart from Jesus, there is no access to God. But secondly, we shouldn't settle for copies and pictures of Christ. Because that's a fair question, isn't it? If the old covenant didn't give access to God, what exactly was the point? Why was it there? Well, verses 9 and 10 give us an answer. Uh, I think if you read these verses in the New Living Translation, the the version we use with the the children in Sunday school, uh, that translation actually makes the main idea here even clearer, even um, uh, more obvious. But if you look, verses 9 and 10 say the old covenant was a series of symbolic pictures of what God was going to do one day for his people. So it was the old covenant was really one big illustration of what God was going to do to deal with sin and to grant full access to himself. And the writer shows that in two different ways. Firstly, he says the gifts And the sacrifices the priests offered never cleansed the conscience of the people. Now, in what way does bringing some grain or bringing a bull deal with the offence of sin against the holy God? How does that do anything? Now, just imagine for a moment, right, that I get really angry with you one day. I turn up to your house, I say some horrible things to you, uh, I punch you, I smash up your car because I'm in a fit of rage. Uh, But I've gone home and I want to repent. I'm really sorry I've done it, I shouldn't have done it. So I go and I repent. So I come to your house, I knock on the door, you open the door and I produce a chicken and a knife and I just slit the chicken's throat in front of you, cut its head right off. 
And then I go, we're square now, right? What would you think of that? Yeah, right, apart from this guy seems a bit unhinged. Um, you know, surely you just look at that and go, that hasn't in any way fixed the problem. That hasn't achieved anything. Your car is still broken. Your face probably still hurts. Your feelings have not healed. You know, I've really not dealt with the offence that I've caused at all. Now, if that's how you feel about that situation, the writer says, imagine how God feels about your sin. And using that as the way to deal with your sin, which is infinitely more offensive to him than me getting a bit angry at you. A little bit of grain and a dead cow is not going to cut it, is it? It doesn't solve the problem. So that's the first way the writer says, look, just think about it for a minute. It doesn't work. But second, the writer says all these physical regulations were outward things. They were symbolic things. So the food laws and the washing rituals, they affect a person's body, don't they? But none of those things touch a person's heart. None of those things touch a person's soul. They can't make you clean inside, can they? And so the old covenant was just a picture to God's people. It illustrated how Jesus would come and offer a perfect once and for all sacrifice. It pictured the priestly eternal access that Jesus would bring one day. It pointed to how he would make us clean by using symbols of cleanliness. So to the Hebrews, the old covenant is like watching an advert on TV for an amazing holiday. And somebody says, I've bought you the holiday. Here it is. You can go. And they're turning around and saying, I'm all right, thanks. I'm, I'm really just enjoying the advert on TV. I really like the pictures. It's like turning down a football kit, isn't it? Your brand new football kit from your team because you prefer the knockoff version that you got down in Cheatham Hill. Right? They want the cheap copy, don't they? They want the thing that is going to break and that doesn't really work rather than the thing itself. Now, uh, anybody who tells you uh, Christianity is not a religion, people like to say that, don't they? Christianity is not a religion. They are wrong. It is a religion. <laughs> the Bible calls it a religion in the book of James, and we look a bit silly when we say that. Um, it obviously meets that definition. So if you have ever said that, stop it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that helpful. Um, but I think what people mean when they say that is, is valid. What they mean is that Christianity is not primarily about keeping rules in order to make yourself right with God. I think that's what they usually mean. Uh, they mean it's not legalistic. That's not the idea. We aren't saved by doing certain things. And if that's what they mean, then I think what they mean is correct. That is true. Uh, but I think we, like the Hebrews here, are often very tempted by that sort of legalism, aren't we? Uh, the whole point of religion, if you want to know what religion is about, I don't care what religion you follow, religion is about access to God. That is the whole idea of religion. That is what Christianity is about. It's all about 
how we get access to God. And every other major religion in the world is about the same thing. How do we get access to God? It's all about how we can know him, how we can access him, how we can gain what we need to get uh, from God. And so often, I think we can end up putting Jesus to one side in favour of religious practices because we think we're going to get better access to God by doing that. Now, often that can be really good things, even things that God himself commands. So things like your prayers or your Bible reading or serving in the life of the church or helping other people or doing community work or evangelism or your baptism or communion or whatever. I mean, you name it, we can turn it into something that we think is going to sort us out with God. And we can believe those things start to be the basis if you like of our access to God we can begin to believe that if I do those things then I'm more likely to get to God I'm more likely to get access to him but we've already seen haven't we apart from Jesus none of those things are going to do anything for us we get access to God through Christ not through those things it's our faith in the Lord Jesus that makes us right with God not our doing things for Jesus And when Jesus was asked how we can do the works of God, he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. We do the works of God by believing in the Lord Jesus. Now, the thing is, those things of religion, even things that are Christian religion, they are supposed to point us to God. So the things of religion, even those things we sometimes call legalistic, if you're relying on them, they are supposed to point us to God. Just like the old covenant was supposed to point Israel to God. You know, the fact is, you can't get away from that. God commands those things, doesn't he? He says they're good things. But if the things of religion point us away from Jesus and to trust in ourselves, then what we've done is fallen for a dodgy copy of what those things are supposed to do. You know, what we've got there is the Cheatham Hill knockoff version of Christianity, if that's what we're doing. You know, we're believing in something that cannot give us the access that we need. The very things that are supposed to point us to God in the Christian religion can often end up being the very same things that keep us away from him. Which is an issue, isn't it? It means we're at least using them wrongly, or doing them wrongly, or thinking of them wrongly. Let me give you an example. Prayer, by its very nature, is supposed to point us to God, isn't it? And when we pray, it sends us to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Now if our prayers are fundamentally making us think of ourselves... And they're fundamentally making us think of our acceptability before God because of our prayers. Then we've missed the point of prayer, haven't we? And we are using it in a way that it was never designed to work. Because that's not what prayer is supposed to do. The same is true, I think, of any religious thing. No matter how good it is. Even if God himself commands it, the same is true. If I think that that thing gives me access to God because of that thing, then I'm misusing the thing that God has commanded me to do. I'm misusing religion. 
You know, the sacrificial system was commanded in the Old Covenant by God. But the sacrificial system wasn't what gave people access to God. You know, we are made right with God because of the work of Christ. Sin is forgiven not because some bull got slaughtered on an altar. Sin is forgiven because Jesus was killed on the cross. Forgiveness is applied to us by the Spirit who grants us faith in the Lord Jesus. We're accepted by God because we are made perfectly holy by Jesus. Now, none of that rests upon me, does it? None of that rests upon you or what you might do. All the other things that God commands are for my good. And they're for my good so that they might draw me to him. Not to cause me to trust in myself. The things that God commands are only of worth if they are a product of our trust in the Lord Jesus. They're absolutely useless apart from our trust in the Lord Jesus. And so if that's the case, we've got to ask ourselves this morning, are we really trusting in the Lord Jesus himself? Are you here, not because you think going to church earns you points with God, but ultimately because you love the Lord Jesus and it's pointing you to him? Are you trusting in what Jesus has done for you rather than what you might do for him? We shouldn't be tempted away from Jesus by empty religion. And that is the difference between Christianity, I think, and other world religions. Everyone's seeking access to God. But Christianity says you gain access to God through Christ, who has done the work for you. We shouldn't be tempted to do for God what Jesus has already done for us. Religion exists to bring us to God. Religion exists to grant us access to God. And we get that access through the person of Jesus alone. We shouldn't settle for a copy. Don't settle for a Christianity that says, if you pray, if you go to church, if you do this, if you do that, then God will accept you. That is not the Christian faith. Don't settle for what only points to the real thing. I just love the church and the church is wonderful so I'm glad to come. I'm glad of the community. I love the people there. That's wonderful but that's not Christianity. The church is not what saves you. It is your trust in Jesus. It is your trust in his work. It is your trust in him that will grant you access to God. Are you trusting in him and not trusting in the things that you think might earn you points and favour with God. Don't settle for those copies of Christ. But thirdly, finally, Jesus is ultimately our only hope. So if you look in verses 11 through to 15, uh, we come on to the writer's main point in in his uh, section. Uh, The old covenant couldn't give access to God. It was just a picture pointing to Jesus. But in verses 11 to 15, he shows us how the new covenant is better. And I don't know whether this is on purpose or not. I like to think it is. Uh, But the number seven in the Bible speaks to perfection. It's the perfect number. And here we get seven reasons why God, or rather Christ and the new covenant, is better than the old. 
Uh, what's really interesting is the tabernacle, all the stuff in the tabernacle. There's six things listed there in the tabernacle. Uh, and here's seven reasons why Jesus is better. So Jesus goes one better than what's in the tabernacle, which is nice, isn't it? Um, so let me just quickly run through these things. OK, we're going to whistle stop tour through seven things as to why Jesus is better. So number one reason why Jesus is better. The old covenant pointed to better things. And verse 11 says Jesus is the high priest of the good things that have now come. So all the things in the old covenant and all the things that the old covenant promised, Jesus now brings to us. And so he's better because he brings what the old covenant promised. Uh, Reason number two, Jesus ministers in a better tabernacle. So the old tabernacle was just a tent uh, and it got a little bit better when uh, Solomon built a temple But Jesus doesn't minister in a tent and he doesn't minister in a building. Jesus ministers in heaven. Now, the tabernacle and the temple were supposed to be copies of heaven. They were like earthly copies of heaven. Jesus now ministers in the actual place those copies pointed to. And therefore, he is better. Uh, Reason number three, Jesus offers a better ministry. So the priests went into the first room again and again, whereas Jesus in verse 12 enters the tabernacle once and for all time. So Jesus is better. He's given us access once and for all. Uh, Reason number four, Jesus offers a better sacrifice. So he doesn't enter heaven through the blood of animals But he died and he shed his own blood to atone for sin. Again, not repeatedly, but once and for all. So he offers a better sacrifice. Reason number five, verse 12, tells us Jesus gives us a better blessing than the new covenant. Sorry, the old covenant. So Jesus has obtained eternal redemption by his death, we're told. The priest only got ceremonial cleansing and he had to keep doing it as well. Whereas Jesus gains eternal, lasting redemption, and he has done it once and for all. Uh, Reason number six, Jesus brings better assurance. So if you look in verses 13 and 14, the writer says, If the blood of animals brought outward ceremonial cleansing, how much more is Jesus' blood able to cleanse us from actual guilt and sin? So he says the blood of Jesus is better because it is human rather than animal and he is the messiah who god promised the animals offered by the priest had to be physically unblemished but jesus blood is better because he is morally unblemished he had no sin so jesus blood was offered himself through the holy spirit and he secures eternal redemption. Jesus' blood offers better assurance than the blood of a goat or a bull or a pigeon or whatever. That's six. Number seven, last one. Uh, Jesus is better because he brings better results. Isaiah 64 verse six speaks of Israel in this way. All of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. And so under the old covenant, even acts of service were defiled by sin. But in Hebrews 9 verse 14, Jesus cleanses our consciences from dead works. Works of law that are valueless of themselves apart from Jesus. And he frees us to serve God in a way that is valuable and worthwhile. 
Jesus' death on our behalf means that we can actually please God and we can please him by our service. But it's not that our service earns us merit with him, it's that our service becomes valuable because of our trust in Jesus. Jesus brings us unfettered access to God. He secures our salvation. He pays for our sin. He gives us a clean conscience and he frees us from dead, valueless works to serve God and worship him in a way that actually pleases him. Seven reasons why Jesus is better. And the big point here is that what matters most in all the world is whether you get that access to God or not. Do you have access to God or not? We were created for a relationship with him. We were created to know him. We were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now we don't do that through law keeping. We don't do it through a particular building. We don't do it through religious rituals like baptism and communion and things like that. We access God through a person, through the Lord Jesus Christ. The only means of access to God is knowing the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can remove the barrier of sin and is the one uh, who can make us friends with God again. It's our sin that stops us knowing him. It's our sin that stops us having a relationship with him. But Jesus is the one who conveys God's blessings to his people. He's the one who gives us that access to God. He is the one who ministers on our behalf in heaven. We can have access to God at any time, in any place, in any situation because of the Lord Jesus. It is by faith and faith alone in Christ alone that we get access to God. Apart from him, there is no access, no salvation, no assurance, no ability to speak to God, no ability to be heard, no ability to do anything that might even please God, even a little bit. That is why the most important task for the church is making Jesus known. It's why we here in this place need to pray for our community in Glodic. Why we need to pray and reach Oldham. Why we must support people across our country reaching other communities. Why we want to support people reaching the rest of the world to reach those who do not yet know Jesus. Our only hope of access to God is in and through the Lord Jesus. And unless people know who the Lord Jesus is, they have no hope of getting any access through him. So the world's only hope of access to God is Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves in here first, do we trust in that Lord Jesus? Do we have access to God through Christ? Do you believe that the only way to be right with God is to believe in the Lord Jesus, to trust in his death for your sin and to give your life to him and make him Lord? Well, if you do accept that for yourself, if you do think that is right, if you do think you've done that even. But will you commit to telling other people about him? He's the world's only hope, isn't he? He's the only one who's going to give anyone 
access to God. There is no access for the world other than through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no hope for the world other than in Jesus Christ. Well, will we hold that hope out for our town? Will we send and support people who will make him known elsewhere? Will we maybe even go and make him known elsewhere? No, we can't just sit here and keep Jesus to ourselves, can we? We need to let others get that awesome access to God that we enjoy in Christ. And so, number one, do you know and love the Lord Jesus? Do you have access to God through him? And second, if you do, or will you commit to going and telling others about him? Maybe this week, think of somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who you can go and talk to about him. Go and tell them about that awesome access that you have to God through him. And see what the Lord does through you going and telling somebody else about him.